Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we reflect on events at Old Trafford on Monday evening as Manchester United show fight and intensity to get a victory over a lacklustre Liverpool. But what does it mean in terms of the future prospects of both of those two teams this season? We'll discuss Rangers who've qualified for the Champions League. They joined Celtic in the competition for the first time in around 15 years. But what positives could it do for Scottish football? We'll also be speaking to Henry Winter, who's been to Ukraine as the Ukrainian Premier League has returned. He'll tell us all about his experiences in the country. And Molly Hudson joins us to discuss two England stalwarts retiring in the shape of Jill Scott and Ellen White. We'll also look ahead to some of the biggest matches of the weekend. This is The Game. Hello there, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissencroft alongside Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark this week. Loads for us to discuss. Where should we start, guys? Well, uh, let me just say... Oh, look at his face. Look at his face. Listen, the the Manchester United fans are back. Oh, don't. On social media, in the WhatsApp chats, chirping up on the Office Footy Conversations and here on the game podcast we have made a triumphant return after bouncing back from those back-to-back defeats with a stirring 2-1 win over a lackluster (laughs) liverpool at old trafford on monday mind you you know what this is part parody right um yeah it is okay just i just (laughs) think that is that is important for the listeners who are currently like taking their headphones out come on this is part parody they know i don't get too enthusiastic or worked up at any point in time It's, it's just not my style but what I will say is that I'm not going to gloat, Good. mainly because Tony, right. <laughs> Tony and Alison aren't here. I'll, I'll wait for them to return. But also, that was the minimum that a Manchester United sh- side should show in a game against one of your big rivals after back-to-back defeats. You know, I'm not going to. It's not like they played like Barcelona, peak Barcelona under Guardiola or anything like that. They just ran around and kicked a little bit harder. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, no, come no, on. No, like, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say Manchester United are back because that's utter nonsense. They would have to, firstly, bring that level of intensity in every game between here and the end of the season. And they still won't be a great side because they're, they're trying to build something. They're trying something new. That means you make mm. mistakes. In isolation, it's a great result. You didn't want to lose the first three matches of the season. I'm not reading too much into it, okay? So all I think is we we maybe saw the makings of a, a pretty solid side over the course of this season under Eric Ten Hag and nothing more. So I'm not gloating. I'm honestly not gloating. But I'll, t- I'll turn it all to you guys. 
Um, Johnny, I'll start with you. Just how good were Manchester United? <laughs> <laughs> they were peak Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They man. were, weren't they? <laughs> they were that good. They were that good. Um, no, I, I, th- I think the most important uh, or the biggest winner was Eric Ten Hag because, quite frankly, the, the the first two games raised such questions about whether he, he could possibly impose himself on the clown show that he inherited. And um, it, was an, it was a big, big um, statement for him. I, I felt he needed to make, first of all, the, the call that he did in, in dropping Ronaldo and, and dropping... Maguire, I think he needed that sort of statement selection um, in the way that if you think when Guardiola took over, he, he he got rid of Joe Hart and he brought in his own style of goalkeeper. And it was such a big thing at the time, but it was that statement at the start of a reign, no, we're playing a different way and this is how I'm going to do it. And I was surprised he hadn't done that in the first two games. So the selection in itself, I felt, was important. And then he did demonstrate that, you know, getting him to run extra in training and all the, the team meetings uh, and, and all the work he'd been putting in culturally, it had had an effect. So that's a, that's a, that was the second thing. You know, he isn't going to be the next Frank de Boer. He can affect this group of players. And that was palpable from the, the, the effort. Beyond that, it, you know, I've been slightly flippant about um, my dear friend Oli Gorosowskiel, but it was very much like a, 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 an Oli performance, that formula of um, counter-attacking a bigger team, shall we say, or, or a team that has more possession and, and is probably better. Um, and Oli found that that worked in some of those games because it suits the Man United squad's skill set. But clearly, um, there's a level of football beyond that, that that Eric Ten Hag will now need to try and work towards. And the the thing that is, I'm not going to say concern me, but I think the thing that has to be remembered is that good as that performance was, it was built on two or three players who've shown themselves over the last two or three years to be pretty unreliable, shall we say. You know, Bruno Fernandes principally had an incredible game, but, I mean, he still almost scored an own goal through, I don't, don't know what on earth he was, what came into his brain, but but even that moment was typical of a player that can just suddenly malfunction. Um, can Bruno play like that every week? Not sure. Um, can Marcus Rashford do that every week? Can Anthony Martial play like that? Th- those are the next sort of set of questions. And that's why you're right, you to be a little bit cautious about seeing it. But but I think the biggest thing, that hurdle, that question, can Eric Ten Hag make an impact at Manchester United? At least um, at least he's got over that and, and, and he's set the foundations to, to move forward now. Look, that, I think that's a brilliant summary by Johnny, really. I think you could add Dallow into that. You could add... Mm. And your mate Martinez as well. Did you not see that lovely little moment where he turned to the stand and lifted his shirt up and said, thanks for believing in me, Gregor? <laughs> <laughs> I know, actually, I've written quite a lot about Manchester United in the last week. And yeah. To be fair, like I, I argued that Ronaldo had to be dropped. I, the one thing I also said that is really important that they... That used to be the thing they were best at, as Johnny said, under Solskjaer, recognising where the space is. And when they get midfield turnovers, breaking quickly. And because it had been so ponderous in the first two games, they just needed to inject a bit more kind of energy when they win the ball back. And they did so. Another thing was throw De Gea's short passes in the bin, just for now at least. And they did it. And that, So those are the most important calls. And, you know, they paid off. But, what um, did, but interestingly, what did you think of Martinez, though? Because, you, you know, we had discussed it after um, he got bullied by Ivan Tony, and you, you did defend him and you said, look, he, he, can, he can cope in this league. And it's interesting that, you know, you have Maguire dropped, but he stays in and plays pretty well. 
Look, I thought he was brilliant. I thought you, we saw his his kind of nasty side as well. His mm. edge. He's kind of bar, you know barging into to Sal early doors. He he was enjoying it. There was one on the touch. One one I think it was Milner as well on the on yeah, the byline yeah, when he yeah. slid and just sort of put his hand on his head. <laughs> yeah, but even even I think he just sort of left his leg in as well when he, they were off sliding off the pitch. It was like he he wanted to get involved in all that stuff. So that bodes well because Man United need someone like that. I think a bit of real aggression. I, I th- you know in that piece I argued that probably that was going to be his biggest test in terms of you know that kind of cliche Premier League big kind of long balls physicality that. Ivan Tony's probably his biggest test of the season, and it came early doors. So more, there could be more games like this. You know, it was argued by by uh, you know Neville and Carragher in particular that that teams are going to target him. But they said the same thing about Ben White last season. Teams don't generally change their entire game plan just because there's a, a guy, who's a little back. guy at the back. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's the truth. So you know, that remains to be seen. But I think he's, you know, there are going to be games where it'll be more difficult for him but this is this is more like what he's going to have to deal with uh, there were a couple of moments where you know, there was one in, where he came across to cover Milner in the first half Milner sort of sidestepped him and got through and he needed Varane to get in he looked a bit over eager actually at, at the start but he had a great game and so did Malassia beside him I mean he's he's really sharp low centre of gravity he looks like and the same sort of thing that sort of aggression so those two players and as Johnny said Fernandez has shown something that he's not shown for a long time that's the question that is now the, the question can these guys who have disappointed so often so regularly <laughs> produce these levels the answer is no the answer I'm afraid is no we've yeah, seen it exactly. it's going to be a miracle if they do so there's still uh, still some big serious issues there same with Dallow Dallow did really well mm. against a very difficult opponent in Diaz we've seen it for yeah. too long now it's not the answer is probably yeah. no so the only other thing I, I argued in my piece was He's got to choose between Eriksson and, and Fernandez, and the only reason that worked was because Fernandez did something we haven't seen. I still think, mm-hmm. over the course of a season, probably you can't have Eriksson in the in the in the in the two at the base of midfield there. So, look, amazing performance, amazing in terms of the surprise from it as well, and just the the lift off which Man United really needed. But you know, I I still think, as Johnny said there, there's too many players who produce something we haven't seen enough. Even if you look at the next game against Southampton, you know, Southampton are going to try and do to Manchester United what they did to Liverpool. And, you know, when you're trying to impose yourself on another side, dictate a game, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United was was that. You know, they, they never controlled football matches on the break for a couple of seasons. They were pretty dangerous, you know, and they counter-attacking football was what they did best. But ultimately, we have not seen for a long, long time in the Premier League that be the key recipe for the teams in the top four picture. You know, they have largely, apart from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United, tried to control football matches through possession and chance creation and impose themselves on their opposition. And it was great to see in a derby match a team play like it was a derby, but I still didn't see a Manchester United, or at least I didn't see the formula there of a really successful Manchester United. But that being said, what he tried to do in the first two games was very different. And if he tries to bring that back and Manchester United can become a footballing side, then they could be successful. I just, you know, if we take the whole three games and try and come to an opinion based on all of them, you know, what we saw is we try and play it out from the back first game we try and play it out from the back second game suddenly we're this counter-attacking team that's really highly aggressive in the third game so I don't really know what to take forward from here the main thing is they need to show this fight mm. it doesn't matter the rest is irrelevant I, you know, I did 
it's not irrelevant, but it it was a t- it was asked to do a, it was a real actual uh, hell of a short back pass I was given <laughs> on, on the weekend. How how do Man United spring a shock? I was like, oh, God Almighty! Uh, and one of the things I put, and it was cut because it's not really tactical. I said, look, at the risk of sounding like a proper old you know proper football yeah. man, someone needs to go and lay down a marker early doors and like let them let Liverpool know they're not here to be steamrollered. Yeah, that's the most important thing by a country mile, and. They did it. So if they do that, then the rest is kind of something to build upon. They need to show that every week. That's the most important thing in football. Yeah. And we, we, we know he can we know he can coach the, 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 the controlled possession dominating football. We've seen enough of his career to know that. You know, that, that that's what I meant about how it, it was cheering for Man United fans, I think, to see that um he can make the impact. That's the biggest thing. The fact that he can make an impact and, and get that effort. That's a foundation, and then it's it's going to be about cleverly bleeding in um, at the right times the, the the next things he needs to do to to sort of impose uh, bring bring the style of play that he wants. And I think if I was a United fan, I'd be quite encouraged to read about him looking for a different type of goalkeeper in the transfer window in the last in the last week. That to me says he's he's got De Gea on his radar. And that that's something he might try and look to affect. But over the course of the year, you can't do it all straight away. It felt like in the first two games, he was trying to do everything straight away, but with the old group of players and more sensible to change the culture, change the, 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 the effort levels, first of all. And then, you know, if, if the, the players that are there can't get on the bus, they, they, they have to get off and, and, and he brings new ones in. And that's, it's going to be that evolution you know, you mentioned Guardiola earlier. His first season was a whole lot of ups and downs, but you could see the football coming step by step. Klopp's was the same, and that's the that's the the road that Ten Hag's got to go on. Uh, Tom, I've got to ask you about Harry Maguire and Cristiano Ronaldo. Gregor alluded to it already. Both of them on the bench. Um, is this something that we need to become familiar with going forward? Two big names uh, on the bench. It certainly could be. And I mean, Ten Hag, the thing that works in Ten Hag's favour now is that he dropped them and got a result. So no one, you can't really have too many questions. The problem for Ten Hag, as we discussed in the pre-season preview, is that he went into this season with the Ronaldo issue being so prominent. You know, he wasn't talking about what are you excited about? Are you ready for the challenge? You know, what are you going to be looking to implement in in your team? It was all about, is Cristiano staying? Is he leaving? Et cetera, et cetera. So this result helped him in that sense. I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, I think he the Maguire situation is so difficult. It's more difficult than a Ronaldo one to me because you you might be able to move Ronaldo on because he's still a global superstar. Harry Maguire's kind of reputation in the game is such that, I don't know. I was thinking about this week, like how, do you, how do you get rid of Harry Maguire from Manchester United if you want to? And I was thinking like, almost like NFL style trade type deal with someone someone who wants a defender be it Chelsea like go to Chelsea and be like okay heard you heard you need another center back how about Harry we'll take uh, Mason Mount as a trade start high knowing yeah. they'll say no we're going to get Hakim Ziyech in that trade aren't we but if you end even if you end with Hakim Ziyech or hey Conor Gallagher I'd like Conor, Conor Gallagher imagine if you imagine if you ended up with like 15 million and Conor Gallagher for Harry Maguire what a deal that I think we'd have to give 15 million and Harry Maguire to, <laughs> to get Conor Gallagher but no no but, but I like your thinking I, I'm being a bit of flippant obviously but that that my my point is that people aren't going to pay a wedge for Harry Maguire. Yeah, I don't think so. They but no might. one's going to pay a wedge for Cristiano Ronaldo either. Yeah, see, I I I actually think the Maguire situation is a bit more straightforward. I think he'll still play. 
a lot of games this season. Mm. Like Varane's injury record for one thing, mm. he showed something we haven't really seen either. And his Manchester you... United career, he's another one. There's a lot of players he can name in that team. But mm. the thing with you know, people talk about Ronaldo being a kind of character around the changing room, or it's bringing the changing room down. I actually think, arguably, if you've got your captain who you've backed and said he's going to be your captain, not in the squad, and potentially he's a good pro though. Well, I don't think he'd be a troublesome. Personally. But I, but I, I think he'd try I, and look at the same Cristiano he, he always, The thing about Harry Maguire that's different is Cristiano's coming towards the end, wants to play Champions League, wants to be out there on the pitch. He, I don't think he'll accept being a substitute and I don't think he'll accept really being outside of the Champions League. He's certainly mm. going to eat a big slice of humble pie if he isn't. The difference with Maguire is that Maguire's form has been so poor mm. that he almost needs to sit on the bench for a while. But he's got a World Cup might, coming up. And that he might, might help him. Yeah, he's not going to lose Ooh. his England place, I don't think. I don't think he'll lose his... Like like Gregor is saying here, he he'll will play, play yeah. because play. of the injury record of Rafa Varane, who I don't think is going to play four matches in a row at any point in time mm. while he's at Manchester United. Maguire will play games. Um, so I think that's the, that, that's the major difference. And they need Maguire, you know, as a squad player whose injury record is pretty perfect. You, you need a player like that who you can at least hang your hat on. And you don't know. You, you really don't know what else... Ten Hag's got up his sleeve. You know, who knows? There might be three at the back at some point. You know, you might want Harry Maguire, Lissandro Martinez and Varane on the pitch at the same time. I don't know. Um, let's talk about Liverpool. I think we've got to talk about Can Liverpool. we not just quickly say like how good it is to see Marcus Rashford back in some you can, if you want to. excellent form? Yeah. But doesn't he embody... I know you said about Fernandes, but doesn't he... I, I, I love Marcus Rashford for, for many, many reasons, but doesn't he arguably embody the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sporadic acts of passion point that we're making about this Manchester United team more than anyone you know fine pick up the corner flag and throw it on the floor and be like yes I'm a Manchester United boy and I've scored against Liverpool but he's been pretty terrible for ages and like I, you know yes it's pleasing to see him back but he needs to be he needs to be that against Southampton the thing is this style suits him yeah but- so it's all great saying play on the counter attack put Marcus Rashford and Martial up front they just run channels bit of movement the best thing about it is obviously if you win the ball the quick turnover you've got a sprinter that just immediately is out the traps in behind the defence and just looking for that one ball in behind touch and finish that's great if you're going to play counter-attacking football all season can Marcus Rashford affect games if you are trying to be the dominant force you've got the possession no space to run in behind you're playing against the team that defends on the 18 yard line at this point in time he's not going to be that player like he's just not going to affect games when the ball's at his feet and he has to think and he's got to make that decision with all due respect to what he's done in the game what we've seen in the last two and a half years probably isn't good enough for you to play for a team that's got lofty ambitions in my opinion as well as he played on Monday yeah, look, he's in that he's in that group as well. So's so's Martial. Martial came on and did well. He's had a good preseason. But like, how many times have we had the conversation about Martial? So this is why Manchester United are where they are. I'm just saying, I, th- I really enjoyed seeing him back to like showing a turn of pace and scoring a goal and you know looking halfway like he's enjoying himself on a pitch because it has been a long time and he's someone who's just a likable footballer. Mm. Um, so it was a big night for him. It was a big night for a lot of players. But I think you know, Rashford has the poti- has the potential. You know, all those things you're saying, yeah, like he he can do it. I think. I I just think that he's been one of these players that's been caught up in the turmoil at Manchester United for over the last number of years. And um, you know, I just love to, I'd love to see him having a good season now. 
let's talk now about Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool then, shall we? You know, I asked how good Manchester United were earlier on, Tom. How, how bad were Liverpool in this game or are there mitigating circumstances? They weren't great, but I do think there are mitigating circumstances. Obviously injuries and it does feel... It's interesting to see that they seem to be more in transition than I thought they would be this season. I... I I kind of expected it to be. I mean, Hugh's, Hugh's saying I called it at everyone. He's literally patted his own shoulder. Apparently, yeah, quite literally leant back, leant back in his chair and said, Well done, me, after three games. But anyway. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. No, but I, I expected the transition to be take place up front and I expected it to be around how can Nunes fit in and who are they going to go for, Diaz and Jota. But it seems to be across the pitch and throughout the team. And that midfield, when you've got Cater and Thiago injured, that's pretty weak. I mean, I didn't look at the teams before the match and think Man United are going to win, but I thought, hey, hang on a minute. That midfield two that Gregor was talking about and being worried about McTominay and Eriksen, I was like, they might not be completely overrun because that's not as strong. And I was kind of going through the Liverpool squad. And when you think about it, they've got the kind of, they've got the changes up front. You know, you've got Jota and Diaz, both 25, Nunes, 23. You've got the re- complete reshaping of your forward line there. Alisson is still young for a goalkeeper at 29. In defence, obviously Trent's going to be a Liverpool legend probably for his whole career. But they've added Canate, who's 23. They've got that, so that gives you that injection of, you know, a kind of player reaching their peak. But then in midfield, Thiago and Henderson, 31, 32. Cater and Fabinho, 27 and 28, but both quite injured quite a lot. Then you've got Milner, 36, and then you've got Elliot Carvalho Jones, 19, 19, 21. It feels like perhaps they need that kind of. 23 24 year old signing you know the kind of equivalent of a jota signing yeah in midfield, in midfield. To, to you know because i'm sure gregor would agree when new signings come in at the top level they lift everyone else because you start going oh christ i need to work for my place as well mm-hmm. that midfield seems a little bit I'm, I'm reluctant to say stale but i'm going to say stale yeah it's not even for me it's not that it's stale it's that you need a cons- you need a consistency in that area of the pitch and they just don't get it in terms of who the three are. Every time a Liverpool team comes out, their fans are on social media discussing who the, who the midfield is. Because one week Thiago's fit, then he's not. Same with Fabinho. Ah, oh, Cater's not starting today. For me, I've always thought, a bit like the forward line, you know, you've bought Fabio Carvalho. He's not been loaned out immediately. Curtis Jones, for me, had to go, has to go on loan. Might still happen. Needs football. He's just not going to get. He needs to develop. I think he, he could be a great Liverpool player for a long time to come but he's not playing enough football at a crux, crucial age for me. So I do think he needs to go on loan. I love Harvey Elliott. He's off the back of a major injury. He played great before that. I think he'll come back into his own. He's still finding his way. Probably one of the better players on Monday night. And this is a player without massive masses of experience, particularly big game experience, who was, you know, trying his absolute best in a big, big game. And then you've got Nunez, who's, again, finding his feet in England, and Diaz, who just doesn't have, as good a player as he is, the same output of Asadio Mane in terms of goals and assists. And again, they need to work on that areas of his game if Liverpool are going to stay where they need to be. I just don't... I just... You know, I, it is a transitional team. Matip is probably the best partner for Van Dijk. He's often injured. So then you've got Canate, who's had a few injuries as well. You know, it's just not consistently... A Liverpool eleven. You don't know what it is. Man City, you could probably just about choose it at the moment off the back of a few new signings. But before that, last season, you knew what their best eleven pretty much was going to be. Where are Liverpool now, Johnny? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think I think we're overplaying the the um, injuries um, as a pattern. To be to be honest, I think last season Liverpool had a pretty um, settled 
team. Um, Fabinho, for example, he played 48 games, 42 the season before. So I wouldn't label him as a injury-prone player. Um, and I think centre-back, they've got probably the best collection of centre-backs in, in the league, I would say. You know, four absolutely superb centre-backs. Um, so that, that there's a, they've just got an injury crisis. I think the, 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 the key issue is, as, is the midfield. And it's more those um, players that we saw stepping in on um, on Monday. Is there, the, is there enough value left in James Milner? Which is cruel to say, but is there? And is Jordan Henderson on the turn just a little bit? And is Harvey Elliott ready? And I really like Harvey Elliott, but he's he's hasn't got that much experience at that level. And, and he looks like a player that still needs to be developed. And Liverpool fans have been talking about signing a midfielder all summer. Um, and I must say, I, I was probably wrong on it because I wrote a column saying that they should just have a bit more faith in a club that's had such a great sort of transfer record. Um, perhaps um, looking at it more closely than I had been, they, they, they saw this coming, quite honestly. I mean, the club is, is waiting to try and send, sign Jude Bellingham from, from what I understand. And they've because they're not... Um, you know, a state-backed football club and don't have unlimited wealth. They have to be, they have to box clever in the transfer market, and it looks like that's that's the strategy. Bellingham next year, um, is it going to come at a cost this year? On on the evidence of the first three games, perhaps, because the biggest thing that's been missing is is the thing we've been talking about with Man United. That that foundation of intensity hasn't been there, and it's because they haven't been able to generate it from from midfield. Um, so that's that's the question. How 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 is how is that going to affect the rest of the season? That that those midfield selections and um, you mentioned it. You Sadio Mane as well. That that element doesn't surprise me. I did see that coming. That taking Mane out of the um, forward line, no matter how great a signing Nunes is, no matter how good potential Diaz has, you're taking away a guy who's one of their all-time great attackers like literally one of the best ever attackers. And that was always going to be difficult. And that, that little um, symbiosis with Mo Salah has gone and Salah's having to refine his feet. So there are more issues. There are more transitional issues than, than I thought. And, and it, it, you know, Man, Manny doesn't surprise midfield does a little bit. The one thing I'd say about the, the midfield is what kind of profile of player do Liverpool need there? Because... The player who's missing most and who's really most keenly felt his absence is Thiago, and mm. he's very hard to replace. But they need they need him more more so because of the sort of evolution of this Liverpool team and what they need to do to win games now that no one really allows them to to counter press or to break you know to play in the break. They need to dominate football games more and have someone who's creative at the bottom of midfield. That's what they really need because he's not going to play enough football in a season. Um, so. And then, then when you're looking at looking at the rest of the players, and you're talking about, as you say, and Milner's waning a little bit, Henderson, mm, not sure. Then you're wondering where the energy is that they usually have. So, you know, you're either looking at one hell of a player who's kind of ticks all those boxes, or, and I'm not, you know, is that Jude Bellingham? No, I mean he's got he's got the energy and he's got the creative creativity in the sort of attacking third, but he's not he's not Thiago. So, you know, I don't know if they might need a couple of players in the next twelve months there. One other I, thing I would say about Liverpool quickly, sorry, is the thing worried so, me about this performance was normally they find a way of like rousing themselves when they have in the in the moments where they have the sort of you know the 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 downturns, the blips like that, and they didn't really do it. Even when they got the goal, they didn't 
kick on from there. There were just too many big players having an off night and you know looking around at each other rather than rousing each other. And that's something new. That's not not something you see very often at all with Liverpool. So that that would be my my biggest worry from that game. All I was going to add there, Gregor, was you're right about Thiago, but he's irreplaceable. I mean, he's just yeah. a unique player. So they're going to have to change the mix again, change it up again. Um, I don't know what that new mix will be, but it, it, you can't just bring in another team. Well, this is the thing. I think one of the things about Liverpool and the season's gone by was that sort of solidity in midfield, energy, dynamism, but the front three players were allowed to go and do their thing, pushed up. There wasn't really a a number 10 who would contribute goals or a number eight who went box to box who would contribute goals for them. They got the odd goal from midfield, but now it's like the midfield really needs to help them out in forward areas. You know, Nunez, we don't know if he's going to be a 20 goal a year player. Diaz doesn't look like he's going to get huge numbers. Like I say, I think he's a great player, but we currently haven't seen that from him. Gets the odd goal already has scored a spectacular one this season, but and then there's Salah, who you mentioned, Johnny, is still refining his feet after the lack of that that relationship with the with Mane. So who in midfield is going to push on and get goals for them? And that you know we haven't seen Fabio Carvalho currently have that effect. You know this is a player who's played mainly in the Championship. So Harvey Elliott, the same. You know not really helping them out. And that for me means that we're not really looking at a genuine title contender at this point. They need to find something. Oof. They need to find something, in my opinion, by the end of the transfer window that that sort of puts them there. Obviously, if everyone comes back from injury and they find their rhythm again, possibly. But again, I've said it, it, the bar is so high. It's not to say that they're not going to be a brilliant team this season. That they're not going to get eighty-five points this season. You know, ninety plus seems to be the benchmark. And if you're five or six points off, I mean, that looks like a mile given the standards that Liverpool and Man City have set over the last few seasons. So, Tom, genuine cu- title contender for you. I think with, with the players fit, I know it's a big if, particularly around players like Thiago, but even with Fabinho back in that team, I'd say they're still title contenders, yeah. Gregor? No, I kind of agree with you. I think they do need to add someone before the end of the transfer window because, as you say, it's just going to be... The, the margins are so 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 tight now that you really can't afford to slip up anymore. And Manchester City, look, we're very early in the season, but they do look like the, the strongest so far. Johnny? Yeah, look, I think they'll contend, but unless they add something, they'll they 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 won't quite be able to get across the line. And I just think other clubs have accelerated their transfer plans. Arsenal, you know, City maybe done a bit more than we thought. Spurs, maybe United will, and Liverpool probably have to react to that. Maybe they didn't see that coming. We'll see exactly how things develop under Jurgen Klopp uh, for the remainder of the season. But a positive result for Eric Ten Hag. Hope is that he can back that up against Southampton at the weekend. If not, on Monday's podcast, uh, we'll be back to being the old Manchester United of the first two games. We will see exactly how things pan out. But I'm looking forward to it. First game in a long time. So we'll see exactly... um, at how we do. Listen, plenty still to come on the game podcast. We'll be talking about some of the retiring lionesses. We'll talk about Rangers who are into the Champions League and look ahead to some of our games of the weekend. Stay with us on the game. Rangers will feast at the top table of European football for the first time in more than a decade. After they stunned, they went to Eindhoven and stunned PSV. Yes, the looks on some of the faces last night. Ah, 
savour it, savour it. Honestly, Rangers into the Champions League group stage and they can now look forward to drawing some of the biggest names on the continent in the draw. They join their rival Celtic in pot four. Both teams playing in the group stage in the same season for the first time since the 2007-8 season. Uh, vital, minimum, £25 million windfall as well that both teams get, really. Um, but it's a big turnaround for the side from Ibrox, isn't it? They were playing in Scotland's third division 10 years ago, and they are now back in the Champions League. They've had a couple of great seasons in the Europa League, of course. Um, Johnny, how big is this, though, for Rangers as a club? How important was it for them to reach the group stage? It's enormous. It can't be overstated. Um, two reasons. Prestige. This is a football club that won't accept being less than, than Celtic, of course, and Celtic are in the Champions League, they have to be there as well. And, and you know, Van Bronckhurst, I, I remember watching him as a player playing in the Champions League for Rangers in that era, playing against PSV, funnily enough, but in an era when they were doing pretty well under Dick Advocat in the Champions League. So I think it's the first time in 15 years they've, they've been there. That's where the club sees themselves, no matter what anyone else outside of it thinks, that, 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 that for Rangers is where they should be. And financially, it's a huge... Um, it's a huge benefit as well because again that £20 million at least that they'll get from the Champions League is pretty big in Scottish terms and I have to say I'm, I'm so impressed with the job Van Bronckhurst has done there um, it's taken me by surprise a little bit I thought he was a good coach but he's he's shown extra levels um, and this has been a pretty tough road to get there you know they, they, they turned it around against Gilwaz in the last round and Beating PSV, who'd put Monaco out, is, is, is a pretty big achievement, especially after that um, that first leg at Ibrox. And this is a club, of course, that were in the Europa League final and who've de- developed the art of playing these European ties pretty well. Uh, they were particularly good away from home last year and they were, they were really good last night as well with a squad that's been reshaped a little bit over the summer. So it's a really impressive body of work already from Van Bronckhurst and him big step for Rangers. I've got to say, I'm looking forward to two of the best atmospheres in European football being back in the Champions League as well. It, it's That's great, right? That's great. Hopefully you managed to get to one of the games at least in the group stage. Sad it's only, you know, three home matches because of course next year, you know, you get the old, what is it? Five? Four, five, you know? A couple of extra games. You know, everyone loves that, don't they? Anyway, how big is it, more Gregor? Football. <laughs> yeah, more, more, more football is exactly what we need. More money, exactly. And, and that's another topic we'll come to in a moment, I'm sure. How big is it for Scottish football as a whole, Gregor, that both of these teams are, are in the group stage? It's huge. I mean, Scottish football has, has been through a pretty tumultuous decade. And a big part of that was Rangers, you know, demise and then, you know, rise. Um and I, I can only echo Johnny what Johnny's saying about Van Bronckers, you know, to follow Stephen Gerrard who who did a you know, a, 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 an amazing job. Um, you know, in I've said before in, in Halton Celtic. Celtic's played for ten in a row. You know, he only kind of just lost out in the league because of his a shaky start as well. Um and then you know, the run to the to the final in, in last season's uh, Europa League. So the the European record's been ridiculous over the last two years, like incredible, and it's hard to see where it's come from as well. Like, there's very few players have got any European experience, um, and the recruitment just increasingly looks smarter and smarter. There's so many players like who we would regard as top level Championship players, maybe Tom Lawrence, 
Yeah, yeah, maybe bottom yeah. level Premier League. Yeah. They could maybe get to promote to the Premier League with a top Championship yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. Connor Goldson, Tom Lawrence, uh, John Lundstrom, mm. uh, Ryan Kent. Ryan yeah. Kent, yeah. I mean, and Lawrence was great as well. He nearly scored an absolute worldie. Like, and when he made that move, I was thinking, God, that's a pr- that's about the top top level that you're going to make. Into, but actually, he looked fantastic. Yeah, they've all raised. I was going to say they've all raised their game. Mm. Like. Lundstrom had a shaky start to his career at Rangers. He's raised his game. He's a fan's favourite now. They've all, you know, they're playing against <laughs> elite footballers, like top-level European mm. footballers, and they've raised their game. They've stepped yeah. up and they've they look comfortable at that level. So, I think part of that is is that they've got that kind of it's an opportunity for them. You know, people. There are a lot of people down here sneer and say, you know, "Why would you go to Rangers?" You know, Lundstrom turned down. Sheffield United was still in the Premier League. Why would you not sign a contract there? You got Rangers. This is why. Going to Ibrox, the atmosphere there, going to be playing in the Champions League. This is why they do it. It's a huge club and it's a huge, uh, you know, uh, arena to be playing in. And, and so that's one that's one aspect of it. Van Bronckers is the other, other aspect. Um, but just what it does for Scottish football is, is huge because... Um, it just raises its profile, and and it's good to have two, you know, a healthy old firm and as listen, well in, in Europe. Look, it's going to be tough for them though. We yeah, that. it is. That's but, the next thing. You know, I don't think Rangers is the sort of club nor Celtic that will go all out to try and and look. We're in the Champions League. Let's sign this player or sign that player. But you might get a couple of really shrewd loan signings well, that they- can help you in the Champions League because a player now knows that look, I'm going to get the opportunity to play at Ibrox. Brilliant, but mm. also. We got a Champions League campaign, and that's massive for any player. Yeah, well, they already have done, haven't they? Yeah. Malik Tillman on loan from Bayern yeah, yeah, Munich yeah. created the goal. He looked very he looked bright. Good, yeah, um, it could be an exciting signing. But to echoing Gregor's point about those players that are maybe we see in English football, and they're like, oh, good Championship players going to Scotland and raising their game, and what a fantastic opportunity. Also, Kolak striker, mm. looking at his record, looked like a bit of a journeyman striker. He knocked him out last year with Malmo. Yeah, exactly. But it, <laughs> they signed him for, I think, something about 1.8 million plus some add-ons maybe kicked in now that he's got them in the Champions League. But that looks like a clever signing. James, James Sands yeah. from America. Like that. That's it's similar to that how Postacoglu's done with Celtic, bringing in some of these players that you go, who? But then... No, they might be incredibly bright signings, and now they've got the chance, as Gregor says, to prove themselves in the Champions League. I think Ross Wilson deserves a lot of credit. He's a, he kind of oversees the recruitment, and it, look, there's no doubt that Rangers have turned it around in the last last few years, and they're a well-run football club now. They've, they've, their wage bills, going, you know, has risen considerably in that mm-hmm. time as well, but it'll be able to rise even more now. And I think you're right. I think you know he. he Took a brave decision to to leave out uh, Morelos as well for kind of we're not really sure what I think sort of attitude and fitness reasons he alluded to. Um, he's going to go, isn't he? Yeah, but he's kind of been looks like he's been hoping he's going to go for quite a long time, and then you know he he can't he he can't be a big player for them. So whether this is going to be this is going to change his mind or not, who knows? But it'd be I think it'd be wise to move him on now. And as you say, you've got. You've got a big, a big carrot you can dangle to new signings and say, you know, come and play for us in the Champions League at a rocking atmosphere in Ibrox. All we now need is Scotland to do the job. We've got two teams in the Champions League. What do you think, Johnny? Steve Clark building on this? The club's doing well? Well, it can't, it can't harm. I mean, there aren't many Scottish players in that Rangers team, I have to say, but, but they're, they're, in fact, are there any? Um, the goalkeeper, I suppose, McLaughlin. But yeah, um, the, it, can, it can only help. It raises Scottish football. It helps the coefficient. It raises the ambition. Um, the, 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 the two will go hand in hand. And um, 
uh, yeah, so you could might maybe detect slightly gritted teeth because there's an Aberdeen supporter that's never <laughs> too joyous talking about. You how should, well have, you should have seen Gregor's face but, when Hugh was doing that intro, Johnny. <laughs> bloody hell! <laughs> yeah, I know, but <laughs> I can imagine. Thought of the messages, no. <laughs> I, 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 I just on a maybe the heart doesn't sort of warm massively, but I mean intellectually. <laughs> I have to I just repeat the admiration for, for what's going on there. And we'll be mentioning the recruitment. They lost, I mean, Calvin Bassey was so good last mm. year mm. that Van Bronckhorst developed, you know, sort of really nurtured and turned him into a, a player, I think, went to, went to Ajax for big money. And he's doing the same with Sands now. And then, you know, Joe Rebo was such a big player for them. And to replace him with, with, with Tillman, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a conveyor belt you need. And that's how the club's going to, We've mentioned Ross Wilson. He, he deserves a lot of credit, but so does Van Bronckhorst for his development of, of, of the players there. Yeah, I think it's great for Scottish football. Of course, it is great for Scottish football that they've got two teams in the Champions League. Bit of a, you know, as we speak, it's Thursday morning. You might be hearing this after the draw. But again, I think it's great for the future generations of Scottish football if, you know, a Kylian Mbappe comes to Celtic Park, you know, or a Messi comes to Celtic. You know, that, come on. You want to see that, don't you? I don't know what the dream draw is for those two sides, but uh, it would be nice. That's all I'm saying. I mean, Celtic are fairly used to that, let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, been a while yeah, for Rangers. That's there we the go. <laughs> he got it in. <laughs> got it in. He managed to get it in. Congratulations <laughs> to Rangers nonetheless. Um, yeah, we might be reacting to that draw on Monday, but fingers crossed for some big, big ties for those two sides as Rangers join Celtic uh, in the draw for the Champions League. More still to come on the game. Stay with us. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, there were two massive retirements in the women's game this week, not just from international duty, but from football altogether and two legendary England stalwarts, no less, uh, in the shape of Ellen White and Jill Scott, the 35-year-old Scott playing in 10 major tournaments for England, including two Olympics uh, with Great Britain as well. She made her England debut back in 2006 and is second on the all-time list of the most capped players with 161. Ellen White scoring a record 52 goals for the Lionesses in her 113 caps. She, of course, alongside Scott, helped England win Euro 2022. Both played in the final at Wembley as well. Uh, Molly Hudson joins us from the Times. Molly, this is this is kind of sad, isn't it, to see these two legends uh, leaving the game altogether as well. Let's start with, with Jill Scott, though. What kind of legacy do you think she'll leave behind? It really is the end of an era, I think. I think Jill Scott is pure her longevity that's actually so impressive. I think if we think back to the summer and we were saying, you know, the last final that England had got to in 2009, and she played in that one as well... Um, and I just think with Jill, you always knew what you were going to get. You always knew that in that kind of midfield engine room, she'd give you absolutely everything she had. You know, those long gangly legs always managed to to make that tackle, to win the ball. 
Um, and I think it's also a big one in terms of we, we talk about experienced players and what they actually bring off the pitch as well. And Jill is just so much fun and she's just such a positive person. And I think she'll actually really be missed, particularly on those younger players, that kind of personality that she brought as well as everything that she did on the pitch. Yeah, it's a big loss, I think. And Ellen White too. This one surprised me a little bit more than Jill Scott's. What was your reaction? I think for a lot of the players, it was probably the, the sort of perfect timing. I think you look back now and you think, well, if they hadn't have won this trophy in the summer, would they still have made this decision? Um, and I think particularly for Ellen, you know, speaking to, to her coaches and her dad before the tournament, this really was the, the one thing that she was desperately wanting, that major trophy with England. Um, and I think you could see it after the, the semi-final victory, I think it was, over Sweden at Bramall Lane. And she was in tears on the pitch because I think she probably thought that that moment to really win something with England maybe might have passed her by. She'd been in those three semi-final defeats and I think I think it just felt the right time for her really and I think she's another one that brought so much off the pitch just in terms of her professionalism um so I think not only would they be huge misses in terms of an England squad without Ellen White or Jill Scott you know I barely remember it but it's also just what they brought as as personalities and I think you see that from the reaction of, of so many kind of figures around the game and, and what they've said this week, particularly about Ellen, you know, Hope Powell said, you know, not only was she a, a fantastic goal scorer, but she'd, she'd rarely seen anyone with that dedication and um, work rate that, that Ellen showed as well. It's an interesting one with Ellen White. You've got to discuss the goals, really, with any goal scorer. You know, you want to compare them. Uh, with the greats, um, we know in terms of the overall England record, I think she's just one behind Wayne Rooney. But in terms of women's football, she's streets ahead in terms of what England have had in the past. What sort of reputation do you think she leaves the game with? I think she leaves the game as as England women's best ever striker. And, and it doesn't just, for me, it's not just about how many goals she scored. Because yes, of course, you can say, well, they haven't always been against, you know, professional opponents. Uh, often the, the qualifiers and the friendlies are against smaller ranked nations. But I think it's more when you look at the big tournaments and the impact that she had, and particularly in the last few years as well, you know, in that 2019 um, World Cup scoring six goals in six games. I mean, where would England have been without Ellen White? Um, I think it's fair to say they, they wouldn't have got as far as they did. Um, and, and you know, it was just the same when when she put that Team GB shirt on for the Tokyo Olympics, um, scored a hat-trick in the quarterfinal that, that England, uh, well, Team GB actually lost. And it did often feel like there was nothing more personally that Ella White could do. And I think for me, that was the really lovely full circle moment almost this summer when you saw the likes of Alessia Russo and Beth Mead sort of chipping in with, with that goal scoring, that it didn't, it wasn't always, if Ellen White doesn't score, that's the end of the world and England aren't going to be able to do anything. And I think in a way that was the perfect time for, for her to, to leave, I suppose, knowing that people are there now to shoulder that burden. Molly, you've talked about White's goal scoring record there, but it's interesting to hear you talk about the personalities of both of these players. And I think for me watching it, that's been something that's always been quite striking about both of their games. I've talked on the podcast before about loving Jill Scott's attitude to when she plays. And I think all of us who watched that final will remember her legendary reaction to that tackle with the German opponent in midfield. And similarly, Ellen White, I went to 
the uh, Norway game as a fan with my girlfriend and some of her friends and they all fell in love with Ellen White, not just because she scored goals, but because she came and celebrated in front of us, even when she hadn't scored, going absolutely crazy. Who who in the squad now is going to step up and replace them in terms of personalities in what you've talked about, both in terms of leadership, but also that kind of fun element for those young players? Who's going to step up and take their place? I think Kira Walsh in... In midfield is a bit of a fun one. I, I I remember speaking to her just before the Euros, and obviously she's she's really close friends with Leah Williamson. She talked about as, as far back as they remember as kind of being fourteen, fifteen, and Leah was was always getting in trouble for Kira, whether it was you know she was running a little bit late to meetings or she was kind of being a bit of a troublemaker. And I think that's actually very similar to Jill, and obviously we know that that Kira learnt a lot from Jill in, in a, their time at Manchester City. Um, so I think she's a fun one. I think Mary Ertz is, is a huge personality, um, the goalkeeper, and obviously really, really stepped up um, in the summer and will take a lot of confidence from that to now be a leader in the team. Um, so I think there is quite a nice blend. And obviously what, what we've seen in, in the squad kind of announced yesterday was that there's a few new faces really kind of young players that are really breaking through will bring that kind of excitement I think back to camp which you know it's not easy to replace that experience that they've lost but it, it's kind of a new element isn't it when you have those players that are coming in you know desperate to prove themselves somebody like Ebony Salmon for example who scored you know eight goals in eight games for Houston Dash in incredible form and will really want to be coming into that camp and, and proving a point that she belongs at that level. Do you think it affects Serena Wiegmann's World Cup hopes, England's World Cup hopes for next summer? I think probably, I think what we saw in the summer was that neither of those players, neither Ellen or Jill, were as good as they have been in the peak of their career. But what we saw in the summer was that they both did a job. I mean, Tom mentions that um, <laughs> Jill Scott kind of cameo in the final and She's just fantastic. I think there was almost a sigh of relief when you saw Jill Scott on the touchline ready to come on because you knew she had that ability to close games out. Um, and I think Ellen, you know, for, for all the discussion about how many goals she scored, again, she did a job for the team. She wore down defences. And I think it will be a, a big test for Alessia Russo, actually, to see whether she can kind of replicate that form that she showed off the bench against tied defences, whether she can do that from the start. And that's a very different job. So I think, you know, there's probably a, a bit of missing kind of, in my opinion, depth of talent in mid, in the England midfield at the moment. I think it's a massive, massive one for Jordan Nobbs, obviously coming back into this squad, has missed out on so many major tournaments through injury. You know, if she can have a really good season with Arsenal, I think you you don't worry about that midfield as much because obviously we, we know Kira Walsh is probably one of the first names on the team sheet for England. So I think it, it's really just about the the kind of key players keeping fit and, and getting minutes because I think that's probably the one thing that, you know, the likes of, of Jordan Nobbs have probably struggled with in, in recent seasons. OK, we'll see how things pan out for England, but it is goodbye uh, to two England legends in the shape of Jill Scott and Ellen White. Molly Hudson, thank you for joining us uh, on the game. Plenty more, of course, to come in terms of women's football from Molly. Uh, just check it all out on the Times app. 
For the first time since Russia's invasion of the country, Ukraine's footballers have taken to the field again. The Ukrainian Premier League has returned on Tuesday. Shakhtar Donetsk and Metalist 1925 Kharkiv uh, kicked off the season with a goalless draw in Kiev at the National Sports Complex. Uh, the stadium has a capacity of 70,000. No fans in attendance, though, as the league takes safety measures to protect civilians from Russia's ongoing attacks. But one person who did make it out to Ukraine uh, is the Times chief football writer, Henry Winter. Hi, Henry. Tell us what you discovered in Ukraine. A very brave people wanted to send out a message of defiance. A group of footballers who were inevitably rusty because some of them have been involved protecting their villages. Um, Taras Stepanenko, the Shakhtar captain, his, uh, his village was completely destroyed by bombs, Russian bombs. Um, but th- there was clearly a desire amongst the players to play for those on the front line. The Metalist 1925 players didn't have uh, their usual sponsor's name on the front of their shirt. They had a message of support to the armed forces. And very much the message from the armed forces and from President Zelensky is that they all wanted the Ukrainian Premier League to restart, whether it was a message to Moscow, whether it was a message to West, or whether it was just simply just a, you know an act of defiance which seems very ingrained in the in the Ukrainian psyche what was your experience like being in the country well i mean you know i wasn't exactly robert kappa going in with the first wave on d day i mean it was you know i got a i flew to krakow uh, got a driver to the border you have to walk across the border which was a very humbling experience when you see the refugees coming in the other direction um, and then got a driver the other end to take me into to into Kiev for the match. Because of the curfew at 11 o'clock, we had to stop off early, so we found a hotel in the middle of nowhere. But you know what? But what's strange is that life goes on. You know, you see, like I got up in the morning and there was a group of cyclists heading off for their morning cycle. There were people going in shopping. And then there were air raid sirens. So anyway, we then went on into to, to Kiev. I had to wander around because I've been to Kiev many times, covering games, Champions League finals, England in the Euros a decade ago. Um, and just sort of seeing old sites and life is going on there. But, you know, you talk to the, the Shakhtar coach and he said, well, I was woken up in the morning by... You know, by the air raid sirens, and this is not normally what how you prepare for a game. But you know, the game itself wasn't a classic. I've been to the Olympic Stadium a few times for, for for games, and I mean, you can't compare it at all. But it was a game behind closed doors, and all those games you saw in COVID. You know, and another reminder of how important fans were. Ah, but but this was all about football. In a way, was put in perspective by you know the, the players. There was no diving. There was no attempt at cheating. There was no feigning of injury. There was no time wasting. There was no arguing with a referee. There was no sort of squaring up to the opposition. Because these are a group of players who, who know war. They've got friends on the front line. Some of them have certainly protecting their own villages. They've been at checkpoints on the edge of, of town, checking your papers as you go in. So it was a, it was, it was a very sporting occasion, if I, if I can say that. But I have to say, not, not a great game. For those that you spoke to, um, what does the future hold in terms of football in Ukraine? You know, the Premier League has returned. Do they feel like there is a long-term prospect for the sport in the country? Well, yes, they do, because they feel there's a long-term prospect for their country. And the, what's it, the six-month anniversary of the Russian invasion, and there's obviously stalemate in parts of the country, but they're a very defiant country. You saw it with Usyk fighting 
uh, was it Joshua at the weekend, you know, the statement he put out, he said, you know, I'm doing this for my people, for the Ukrainians. So absolutely, they, you know, they want to play. You know, you've also got young players there like the 21-year-old Mudrin who was playing on the left for Shakhtar Donetsk. The Bundesliga clubs want him. They are, you know, Arsenal have been linked with him. Premier League clubs have been linked with him. You know, these are people going about their lives, their careers, but also wanting to send a message out about their pride and their belief and their commitment to their country. Emery, appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Know that you're travelling, so thank you so much uh, for giving us the time. And you can read more about Henry's journey to Ukraine on the Times app right now. Before we leave you on the game podcast, um, we're changing match of the day to match of the weekend uh, as we preview what will be the ones to watch rather than review if you know what i mean that's what they do anyway um johnny i'm going to start with you um what are you most looking forward to what have you noticed what games catch your eye it's a funny um premier league program because there's a lot of kind of eight out of ten games there's no bad games there um but maybe there's not one of those big clashes but i'm going to southampton united that's gonna be fascinating but we've spoken about united i think the the, the two that, that that really stick in my mind are, are chelsea against leicester and that's looking at it more from a leicester perspective where you know, we could we could have been doing the whole show unless had they not squeezed past Stockport on on penalties. It's it's been a dire start. Um, the Fafana situation hanging over that one. A lot of questions about um, the the happiness, the the the, the direction for Brendan Rodgers um, and the whole football club. And it's a horrible fixture to have. So given given the the start they've had, I'm, I'm looking to see any sort of signs of a, of a turnaround there um, and just from a football point of view I'm, I'm looking at City v Palace I think I think Palace are just an absolute joy to watch at the moment and in terms of a kind of just a footballing um, sort of feast to enjoy watching City with, with, with their rebooted team in Haaland against a team that's caused them a lot of trouble in, in the past at, at the Etihad in such good form can, can Eze use that big stage to perform the way he did last weekend and has done the season. You know, Zaha's in fabulous form just after I put him out my fantasy team. But um, <laughs> he's been, you know, that that peak Zaha. Um, so much to enjoy about Palace and I'm fascinated to see if they can they can do it on Saturday. Interesting. Gregor? Brighton v Leeds. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to two teams who have enjoyed a really good start and, you know, They've both got very clear identities and styles of play, and they'll they'll be a clash. I was also I was at Forest Green Rovers versus Brighton last night in, in deep uh, Gloucestershire. <laughs> By the way, the drive home from that in the dark is probably the most dangerous and treacherous road in <laughs> the UK. <laughs> I just have to I just have to say that. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> Brighton made eleven changes, but you saw some of the this the some new faces. Uh, Dennis Undav, mm. who they signed in January loaned back to uh, Union SG. He scored a really good goal with a, a brilliant little flick around the corner and then a return pass from this other kid. Remember this name, Evan Ferguson, 17-year-old. 17, started up front for Brighton. Big uh, guy from from Dublin, I think he is. Mm. Doesn't look 17, but he's he's really powerful, quick, good feet. Uh, he was he was outstanding. I wouldn't be surprised if we like if we saw him. he might go on loan, but if we saw him at some point in the season, yeah. really good player. Um, and then there were two two others, Yulu Enisco, uh, who was like eighteen, Paraguay international that they signed this summer for ten million. Uh, Japan winger Karu Mitoma, you know, 
this is just more Brighton more yeah. of these kind of signings you don't really know but you think probably we're going to know quite a lot about soon and I saw a few of them last night and they look good um, so it's just kind of underlining Brighton are such a smart club and Leeds as we discussed last week are kind of seem to be on the path to, towards doing something similar if they've got their own way of doing it um, so I think clash between those two teams will be interesting I, I, I like the clash of styles in that game I think that's yeah. one that I'm looking forward to as well I've gone for a championship match Swansea one win so much expected under Russell Martin in terms of the style of play hasn't materialised so far this season against Middlesbrough who are without a win so far under Chris Wilder having been tipped by Wizencroft to get automatic promotion. <laughs> See, I'm not right about everything. That's why I'm keeping a close eye on it. I, I don't... It's weird. I've just... I've, I've I've not been too happy with the way that Chris, Chris Wilder's demeanour has been since the start of this season. They haven't really hit the ground as sort of this, you know, as a positive force. It just it has seemed quite... Transfers, isn't it? Yeah, just, you know, basically saying, you know, I haven't got the squad. You know, all of you that predicted, i.e. me, that we would be doing really well this season. We haven't really got the players for it. We need more. And I don't know if he's been trying to send a message to the board, but... Middlesbrough have enough to be a top six side in, in the championship. This start is not good enough. If it persists, Chris Wilder ain't going to be the manager as far as I'm concerned. So big, big game. They have to get off off to a, a pretty good start in this one, but they're away against Swansea who have struggles of their own. Middlesbrough basically have to win this game as far as I'm concerned, but we'll see. I've also got a close eye on Forest against Spurs because Tottenham have not played well in the last two games. Wolves dominated them. Harry Kane got the header. Nathan Collins lost him at a set piece and that was the game uh, Chelsea battered them and again Harry Kane right at the end um, managed to, to salvage something for them that can't continue and I think Forrest might be emerging as a half decent side with a lot of new faces but the city ground makes a difference for them so I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Tottenham do on their travels there Still pushing the Tottenham average flex, I see, Hugh. That's bold. Well, until, like until they start playing well, <laughs> it's pretty easy to do, isn't it? Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I'm going Villa-West Ham on the Sunday. What a huge game that is for both both teams. I mean, we've talked a lot about Steven Gerrard on the podcast this season, but let's be honest, particularly with me and Johnny on this show, you've got the David Moyes fan club in its out in force. He's <laughs> got he, he's got to do something, hasn't he, though? He's got to do something, I think. Start Skamaka. Whether it starts Skamaka, whether it's changed system a little bit, you know, they, he would say maybe they were they were unlucky against Forest. Of course they were, but they're bottom of the table, three defeats, and they they are showing some unmoise like tendencies a little bit. Um, so that game for me is huge. I think there's also a special shout out for uh, Cardiff v Preston in the Championship. Preston yet to concede a goal in football in the league this season. We've only scored one. Mm. We've got a piece on uh, Four, nil, nil. we've got a piece on championship trends uh, going live today on the website, which you can read later. Which is fascinating. Outlines all the work that they've done. Um, Preston defensively, will they concede? Who knows? We shall see. Interesting one. Uh, just to come back on your point about West Ham United, though, I think they're a bit tired. I think they're starting the season as the most tired team in the Premier League. Well, tired is an interesting word, isn't it? Because that that was what we talked about in the preview show where. You know, we, we we said about Manchester United not being good enough. We said maybe Chelsea will struggle, and we we're like, oh well, the you know, will they will West Ham do it again? Will they be part of that? The, will they be the outlier in the big six? And we did say, have Iskamacha, um, and a, you know, an injured defender and Flynn Downs and these people are they enough to lift it again? Can they do it again? And I guess, well, we've got the man here, the the president of the David Moyes fan club, Johnny Northcroft. What do you reckon, Johnny? <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just just putting on my um 
rosette and my, my, my <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's, it's been a bad start it's transitional times I think he's got to play Skamaka uh, it'll come together but he needs to win tonight as well to get some momentum Okay. Is, that, is that a kind of diplomatic very voice? very much so thank you <laughs> okay. well we will review that I'm sure we'll have a look at that picture <laughs> on Monday Jonathan Northcroft thank you for being with me Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson and to all of you for listening loads of great journalism for you either pick up a Times paper uh, at your local news agent or make sure you download the Times app you can read more of our award winning journalism uh, check it out wherever you get your apps from or go to the times.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on Monday take care Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.